to another episode of Salty Thoughts with Tamal Dodge. guest today. I've known this man for over 10 years. He is one of those rare people that has blazed a tough trail through life and overcome obstacles and hurdles and come out the other end. He is a yoga teacher, father, and all-around inspiring human being. Thank you for being here, Rudy. It's so good to be here. Thank you, buddy. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, man. I've been wanting to actually have you on for a while, and I just thought I'd got to reach out to you. We haven't seen each other in years. haven't talked really in years. Um, and this is just like all our podcasts, it's very casual. Yeah. We're just going to go right into it. Um, let's give a little bit of your back history for our listeners. Um, I know you're originally from Greensboro, North Carolina. What was that growing out in the South? Yeah, from the South, man. It's, it's funny. That was a long time ago. Uh, I was born in North Carolina, but my mom was Italian, and she came here right after the war. Mm. She married a... a she married a uh, army sergeant. She in the in Bali, Italy, which is on the Adriatic side of Italy. The British controlled one side of the country and the United or the town, and the United States controlled the other side. And one time, this uh, British colonel came up to an American sergeant, and goes, "You got any jobs for the Italians?" It was right out. It was like in 1946, right after the war. And the guy goes, "Yeah, I'm kind of up to my neck in Italians. I don't have any jobs." He goes, "Well, I got this really cute blonde lady named named Vera, which was my mom." He goes, well, we're opening an officer's club. Maybe she can be the coat check girl or something. So he said, well, bring her over. I'll meet her. And sure enough, he brought her over. He met her. And a year later, they had a son, which wasn't me, which was my older brother. And so she migrated with him to America. Long story short, they got divorced. They lived in Anirondack in, in New York in the mountains in Anirondacks. They got divorced for whatever reason. She moved south to where the military bases were because that's where her friends were since she was in the mil- or a military wife. And met my dad, Rudy, and married him, and so then I was born there. So my mom was Italian, my father was English, Irish, Scottish, and I was born in, in North Carolina. And I was with them briefly. My parents died when I was young. My, my father when I was about three months old, and my mom when I was nine years old. So I was, at nine, I was orphaned, and I was in different foster homes. But growing up in the South, that's what I did. It was more like slave labor. Uh, I went to these different foster homes, and they just happened to have farms on each one of these foster homes. <laughs> And I would do work, man. I'd work in tobacco fields and oh, cotton. I'd pick cotton. Can you imagine? I'd pick cotton and tobacco from dawn until dusk in 90-degree and 100-degree heat in the south. So that was, uh, that was my southern upbringing. Lived on a pig farm, lived on a horse farm, lived on a cattle ranch type of farm. So that's, that's, that's growing up in the south, man. Those are like different chapters and many lives and just childhood just taking place crazy yeah, yeah. Crazy. and you know the funny thing about it tomorrow is i swear and it sounds cliche but i wouldn't i wouldn't change a thing uh i had a sister who was just a couple years older and we went to foster care uh they uh the first family we went to they kept her uh and i was there for about a week and i remember hearing the the social worker going yeah we can you know we can keep the girl but not so much the boy. He's a little bit of a f- fucking pain in the ass and a wild man. <laughs> and uh, so I went to like 10 or, diff- 10 or 12 different foster homes. Ugh. She stayed in one. 
And to this day, she lives about a half a mile from where we were born and where she first moved to a foster home. And in contrast, I've been all over the world. So the fact that I did not get that stable, that stable uh, rooting allowed me to be more of a vagabond and made my way, where am I now? I'm sitting in, in Los Angeles and Santa Monica and Venice, California. So I would have never even been here if it wasn't for that. Yeah. And I look back at her life and she's much more educated and, 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 and has had a really good, secure life. And mine's been so much better, you know, from, from my perspective. Yeah. So I'm so happy it happened where it happened. So when I said wouldn't change a thing, I wouldn't change a thing. I, I really uh, admire that outlook on it, too, because you know, my father had a radical upbringing. My father was, uh, his mother uh, set him up for adoption. My father was born in Japan. His father was an American GI pilot. She was Japanese. He basically knocked her up, said, I'll send for you. Never sent for her. Whoa. My dad's born post-World War II. Looks like me, mm-hmm. you know, a half breed. Yeah, and everybody was like, "You got to get rid of him." In a Japan, they were gonna beat the crap out of him every day. It's like really bad to be a half breed. But she was attached. She waited till he was three, and then she put him up for adoption at three. And he was adopted by a, a military family in America. They brought him to America, and God, being Japanese in America was just as bad as being American in Japan. Fascinating. So he was abused and treated horribly. But he had all these deep spiritual experiences and traveled the world and had such an amazing life. And he finally got reconnected with his birth mother when he was in his 40s. He flies to Japan, and the first thing he tells her is, I want to thank you for what you did for me. That yeah. sent cold chills up my spine, man. That's, that's beautiful. Yeah, if, if people cannot be a victim of their circumstance, and if they can rise above their circumstance and, and see a vision in front of them, and kind of move like a moth to the light to that vision. And have you seen a moth fly? It's everywhere. It's never vertical. It's lateral and upside down, backwards, and turns around and gets lost. It bumps into the light and falls off the light and goes to the light. So, yeah, if you can just go, that's fine. It's been shit, and I've loved every second of it, but I, I, I see a higher path. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, stay the course. Stay the, yeah, stay the course, man. you got to be in it to win it. So I know you've been a police officer, a military man, <laughs> a bouncer. Yeah, you got so many lives, even not just in your childhood, but throughout the course of history. And how did you get into yoga? Like, where did that kind of lock in or come into play? Well, this will probably be a common, uh, you know, common occurrence for yoga people uh, everywhere. I think I I tell my students all the time, and I I make a joke in class. I'll say, uh, you know, get up until you will be doing a pose. I say, instead of having a flat palm, get up onto your fingertips. I want you to really try to work on strengthening your fingertips. I know that sounds weird, but once someone breaks into your house and tries to fucking kidnap your, your kids, you're going to gouge your eyes out. I said, <laughs> I said you know, just because you're yoga, what are you going to do? The guy breaks into your house, you're going to sit down and burn sage? I said, no, you're going to defend your family. So let's build some grip strength. And I kid, and I said, I, said, I, I, I just in a way, I said, but the fact of the matter, just because you're yoga doesn't make you a doormat. I said, so uh, uh, my point being, we come to yoga. I know I came to yoga. <laughs> It's very funny. I joined the military. I had a choice to join the military. I got in a fight with this guy. I went to this party, and, and my sister was at the party. And we just reconnected. And I was 18 and full of and she was like 20. And some guy did something to my sister. And anyway, you know, being a wild man like I was, like I said, after nine, I was just kind of on my own. No one really kind of... Uh, instilled anything i was more like an animal in these on these places they matter of fact in the, in the foster families i went to their kid they would take their kids to like their version of disneyland they would leave me on the farm to pick cotton and do chores so i was like so i was still kind of a little bit of a wild man 
I got in a fight with this guy, and uh, his two front teeth got knocked out. Don't ask me how. <laughs> and uh, when we went to court, the, the, the judge goes, you know what? You don't have any guidance in your life. You're in foster care. You're 18 years old. You're almost about to get out of foster care because the state kicks you out at 18. You're on your own. He said, I suggest you go in the military. He says, or I'm going to find you guilty of assault and battery. He says, so what's it going to be? I go, well, yeah, okay. So I went to the military. So going back to what brought me to yoga is almost like what brought me to the military in a way. I mean, for most people, I think you go because you're fucked up in some way. And it doesn't have to be dramatic and be, I just can't get my shit together. Or, you know, or it can be a physical injury. I drink too much, you know, and I'm trying to find a way or do too many drugs or whatever the case may be. And I'm trying to find a way to find some moderation. And someone goes, go to, you know, for me, I was a big weightlifting nut over at Gold Gym in Venice. And they said, you know, I, I was injured. And I was looking at this, and I looked in this room, and there were a bunch of women and down dog. I didn't know what the fuck yoga was. This was in 1993. <laughs> and my buddy there, you know, he, what's going on in there? <laughs> muscle heads. I go, I don't know. It's a bunch of girls stretching or some shit. And so beside the door, it said yoga. I said, yo, what the fuck is yoga? And I said, I'm oh, yoga level one at 1045 on whatever day it was. And some dude was teaching. I said, I'm coming back to that shit tomorrow. So the next day I came back to yoga. And I was in a, I, I did down dog. You know, I didn't know what down dog was, but I did what they asked me to do. And it felt so good. I said, that shit feels good. And I swear to God, immediately, I, I, I tell, I've told this story many times. Immediately, I said, I can... The very first day, I thought, I can teach this shit. <laughs> because I had been an athlete pretty much my whole life, and I knew, I was a, I was, I was a goofy one of those bodybuilders that stand on stage and flex muscles and all that shit, you know, yeah. with oily skin and, a, and, a, and briefs on. So I knew how to make my calf jump. I knew how to make my trapezius flex. So to me, it was just stretching the body, you know, which is what yoga, the physical asana is about. It's just stretching up in the body. I said, shit, I know this crap, but whatever sambasiti means doesn't mean anything to me, but I understand how to stand up straight. You know, that's like that. <laughs> and so I came to yoga, and, and it felt so good. And that's what brought me. Not only I was practicing a lot, which was about once a month. And the guy who taught the yoga, I remember his name, Michael. Good yoga teacher. In hindsight, he was a good technical teacher, but he's too bhakti out on me. I didn't know what the hell bhakti was and all that, which I love now, but he was all bhakti and then Lakshmi and all this other stuff. I said, that's some bullshit. And I remember laying on the ground, he says, feel the breath spiral up your genitalia. <laughs> I said, I was like, the last time I felt this breath spiral up my genitalia, it cost me 50 bucks in Vegas. Oh, <laughs> but, my God. But I thought, I said, that's not really for me. So I stopped going for a while. And I ran into this girl I know. And she goes, you should go to Brian Kess's yoga class. So I went to Brian Kess's yoga class. And then tomorrow, you know, he had long hair. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the room had 120 people in there. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. And I just loved the way he taught it. To me, it spoke to me versus the esoteric stuff. So that's kind of the long story how I got to yoga. Yeah, he was, Brian's just one of those straightforward real dudes. Yeah. Yeah, no BS. No. It's, uncensored it, all the time, every time. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 you know, in hindsight now, now I go to his class, and I, or if I go to his class and it's fuck this or fuck that, I always think to myself, well, that's a little un unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right? But the time, at the time, that really spoke to me. Yeah. You know, not the foul language, but the, re the realness of it. I mean, you know, I think, you know, 
I'm cursing this thing, but I think yeah. it's, it's it's more graceful to use better language. But to me, just just the humanity of like, oh, I get this. Yeah. This is kind of cool. It's not something that I can attain. It's something it's accessible. Like, it's, it's accessible. Yeah, yeah, totally accessible. And something I liked that you said was, you know, how people come to yoga because we're all messed up. Yeah, and it's really interesting. My dad went into a yoga ashram, and he's in this yoga ashram, and he was like man, everyone here is so messed up. And so he went up to the teacher and he goes, why is everybody so fucked up here? <laughs> and the teacher said, that's like going into a hospital saying, why is everyone sick here? Uh, it's true, right? <laughs> it's true. It's like you need it. Everyone's, at least you're there. At yeah, least you're there. Went, you're admitting that you need the help. Yeah, I think in 12-step programs or any of that stuff that people go to to regain themselves, they're there because they need to be there. You know, yeah. Whatever the technique is, or what this, I don't care what it is, if it's sitting with a psychologist or if it's doing yoga, if it's doing Tai Chi, or if it's going for a run, or if it's playing your music, whatever brings your shit home. Yeah. You know what brings you home? You yeah, know? I mean, life is a big 12-step program in No general. kidding. I remember Anna Forrest, they asked Anna Forrest, they, you know, she was a junkie and a prostitute and everything yeah. else, and they asked Anna, they go, what's a 12-good, what's a good 12-step program? She goes, fucking Surya Namaskar B. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good 12-step program. I was like, that's pretty pretty interesting yeah for someone like me who's been married you mentioned my jobs as a bouncer and as a and as a bodyguard and as a weight trainer as a cop all those things have one thing in common power you know physical power that you need and because i was on my own pretty much all the time not once in my life and this explains probably my lack of a formal education not once in my life has anyone go let me see your report card you could do better than that never and because I was good in athletics, I got away with it. You know, the, the English teacher would call the coach and go, yeah, have you, have you seen Rudy? He goes, oh, yeah, he's with me. I have him doing some stuff with me, and I wouldn't even be on campus. I'd be at McDonald's or somewhere. Yeah, so uh, 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 lost my train of thought there. But, oh, yeah, all, the, 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 all those jobs you mentioned had one thing in common was the, physical, the physicality of it. So that's always been my 12-step program is I've never had a problem with it. I mean, I've done drugs, I've drank, I've done all that crap, but it's, it never gave me a problem unless you count those four days I missed that one time. But you know, <laughs> but let's say with my friends, I had some real, I, read, I, I wrote a book called The Yoga Warrior that explains my life in the drug world back at the time. And I was involved in that world because my friend was involved and I felt like he needed protection. So I got involved as well. But why they would why it would trash them, and some of these people are famous nowadays, why they would go on week benders or something. I'd go on a one-day bender because the next day I had to fucking be back yeah. to yoga or back to the gym or back to wherever it was, you know. So I was caught up in the circumstance of my friends, but I, I was always pulled, like that moth, I was always pulled back to whatever it was. So where I never need is 12-step or any of that kind of stuff. I understand where someone needs certain things to help them pull themselves back but for me it's always been physical thus i've always been attracted to those type of jobs even now even now yeah 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 and you know there's something to you know like you were saying earlier somebody breaks in your house you're not gonna just be like hey man you want a chai latte let's talk about it yeah there's always a little bit of that you gotta have the yin and the yang you know and we always we always crave that balance yeah you need yeah i think so i think you i think you need that balance because I find, because we're still human, you know, we're always with war and riots and everything that goes on in, in the world today, we're always like, peace now. And, you know, I'm like, nah, there ain't no peace now. There's peace in here, but on this plane is a plane, 
look at the journal, look at the Bhagavad Gita. On this plane is a plane of conflict and battle. That's what we're here for. We're here is, is to evolve our souls forward at, over many lives or whatever your philosophy may be, is to evolve forward. And that utopia and that peace is not on, the, it's not, it's not on this plane. It's never been on this plane. We live never. in a perfectly imperfect world. Yeah, it's never been on this plane. It's, there's always going to be, I hate to say, there's always going to be war. But it has evolved. I mean, there's not world war. There's not world wars as much, right? World War Two. There's not as much blatant genocide as it was in the Holocaust. It was in China and it was in uh, Cambodia, and in 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 Rwanda. I mean, there still is, and we turn a blind eye to it. But we are evolving, so hopefully, not in your child's lifetime, not in her child's child's lifetime, and, and on and on, is, is it going to be? I mean, that's just, I think that's the reality of this plane of existence is conflict, you know? Yoga talks about all the time, finding balance within that conflict. Yeah, you got to be in the world but not of the world and be able to navigate through all the obstacles and challenges that life may throw you. And, yeah. You know, it's you all... Can't, I think the spirituality sometimes is... You know, I think Madhya Zarati from Yoga Works, when she trained me, I think she talked about the using spirituality as a crutch. It was either her or maybe John Friend, one of my bigger influences, and talked about using spirituality as a crutch where you, let's well, all, you know, you could almost rise, up, you know, you can almost detach yourself in such a way that's not based in any reality. Because the fact is, you got to pay the bills, you got to change the baby's diaper, and you got to, you know, you got to. You got to. You have to serve you, man. You have to. You have to kind of be like you said. You got to be in this world, not necessarily of it, but you got to be in it. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't be in. I have a friend of mine. She's uh, fifty years old, never had a job, and she spends her day uh, reading tarot cards and whatever else she does. And I, no matter what I can see her, she, you know, I can see her. Hey, how's it going? I am just in the groove of the universe. I'm flowing. <laughs> And, I, you know, I get that. I really do. But I like, you know, your eyes are so glazed over. I don't really buy, you know, or is it real? If it's real, God bless you. You've reached the level of enlightenment or liberation that I only strive to be. Or are you just playing, are you playing the part, you know what I mean? Are you, are you using it as a crutch? Or are you playing, the, you know what I mean? Yeah, my dad said in the 60s, all the hippies would go out and they'd be on the North Shore of Oahu. And there's one road back then, one dirt road. And all the crazy hippies lived out in the North Shore. There was just shacks. There was no stores or anything. And if you wanted to get into town, you had to hitchhike. And they'd stick out their thumb to hitchhike, and a car would come by maybe every hour. Uh-huh. And if a car didn't stop, they'd go, well, I actually didn't truly intend to get that ride. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, you know, I set my intention, but I didn't really fully commit. Would, Let me set the next intention. This one will be really. And when the car finally would stop, they'd go, that time I actually put my full intention. Well, that's the funny <laughs> part. Have you seen, you've seen that guy on Facebook who does all the spiritual spoofs? J.P. Sears. Oh, he, he's hilarious. I pee my <laughs> pants with him. You know, I think, I wish I had his balls. Because I think this shit, you know, I just can't do it as cleverly. I would just go, you're an idiot, and I would just slap you. He, he right? <laughs> he does it in such a way you can't really be offended. Like Everyone I, has to laugh their ass I'm off. A, I'm, 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 an, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm a, the friend of mine used to call me the insultinator. <laughs> <laughs> the insultinator. <laughs> <laughs> so, but the sarcasm. I'm, I'm the world's greatest sarcasm. I don't know what the word is, but sarcasm is one of my traits, and sarcasm is not very attractive on anybody. <laughs> I am the king of sarcasm. Trust me. Yeah. Oh, it's the best though. That's the, <laughs> it, it, the thing about it is he just got to be real. You know, everyone's got to be real. I remember 
There's another story of my dad. He he traveled as a monk through India when he was a teenager. What an amazing dude. And he's sitting on top of this rooftop at night with his teacher. And his teacher wasn't like the typical, what everyone thinks, an enlightened person. Right. His teacher was this Caucasian guy who grew up in Hawaii, swore like a sailor, but was like super enlightened. Everyone knew he was super enlightened. And they're all sitting on top of this rooftop at night. And all these American guys they were traveling with were in the 60s. And they're all kind of getting on this head trip like, yeah, we are great yogis living in India and they all started to talk with broken accents They're like I will tell you this even though they grew up in like the valley and their name was Kevin or something yeah. so <clears throat> my dad started to change he started to be like yeah I'm a yogi I'm the real deal I'm fucking a monk and this stuff and he was changing his behavior and they're staring out at night and looking at all these twinkle lights in India and his teacher looks at him and he could tell my dad was changing uh-huh. so all of a sudden my Teacher, my dad's teacher jumps up and he starts going, bright lights, oh baby, now bright lights. He starts dancing around, jumping off of shit. And everyone's like, what the hell's going on? This guy's like the enlightened yeah. guy. And, and he stops and looks at my dad. He goes, don't you know who that is? And my dad's like, I have no idea who that is. He goes, it's Jerry Lee Lewis, man. <laughs> Jerry Lee Lewis. And my dad's like, okay. He's like, just because you're spiritual doesn't mean you have to change the music that you like, the way you talk, your personality, how real you are. You make the internal changes, not the external That's changes. That's fantastic. So. Yeah, not the facade, yeah. the true structure of the person. Yeah, you know, it's almost, uh, you know, you can say what you, you can say who you are until you're blue in the face, but your actions become your character. Yeah. Who you are is what you... Repeatedly, do, do, you know, does, and that's a cliche, and it's true, and it's it's confronting too. Because like I think to myself, my God, is this the last time I'm gonna snap at my six year old, and then I'll yeah. snap at her again, you know, out of yep. frustration for whatever the case may be. So, always working on it, yeah. Yeah, and like you brought up, I mean, fatherhood is one of the toughest things. I have a son, you have a daughter. It's yep. the most beautiful, crazy, wonderful, challenging, chaotic amazing things you'll ever experience in your life <laughs> yeah and there's a, there's another word in there too we'll come, we'll come to you in a minute i forgot it was uh, frightening as well you know intimidating and i you know you're 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 smart you had your you had your kid uh young you had your yeah. kid when you were really young i think you were 12 <laughs> as your child at least not when you were 85 <laughs> no, no, I, was, I was close i i told my friend you know uh, here I am pregnant with this, this lady was pregnant with my with my child and I was 49 and I talked to my friend who's a world famous uh, defense attorney yeah. so he's very logical and analytical about everything and I remember I remember me talking about what I'm gonna do and the baby's coming in nine months and blah 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 and he looks at me very seriously like he's giving me advice on the plea bargaining and he goes very optimistic on your part and I did you know I took it as a compliment and then once I had the baby, about a year later, when I was going to either drown her or me in the bathtub, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I, I thought back to my friend's advice. I go, no shit. I had no idea. Remember, I was an orphan at nine, and I was not around families, you know, as far as infants and that type of thing. Yeah. I didn't know what it took to raise a kid. I mean, I love children. I always liked children, but I was like, I was naive. Any parent, you know, as parents, you know, tomorrow, you know, before you become a parent, you see someone raising their child a certain way, you think to yourself, that's that's not the way you raise a kid. Yeah. Then you got a kid and you go, whatever works. <laughs> if the kid is breathing and eating and clothed and sleeping and not wiping shit out of himself, then you, you know, at, at, at 10, then you did, you did a good job with the kid. So, yeah, it has been, it has been 
frightening and fascinating, all the all the all the beautiful things. I it's funny, I wouldn't change it. I mean it ruined my life. You know it, <laughs> it ruined the life I had. Yeah. Which by the way, to be honest with you, is one I was quite getting bored with anyway. Yeah. Because of the same goddamn thing from from the get go until fifty when she showed up and then then things then I had to funny friend of mine's a Greek guy and he says to me, This is ten years ago, we we're at a bar somewhere and he goes and he's very philosophical. He's one of the baddest men on the planet, MMA and all this stuff. We're not men, he says to me. I didn't say anything. I was drunk. He's drunk. He goes, we're not men. <laughs> Looks at me like, you know, like a Spartan. I go, what do you mean? He says, we don't have any children. I go, what's that guy to do anything? He says, you're not men until you have children. And I thought, okay. And then, you know, <laughs> And then later in life, I go, no kidding. Yeah. you got to step up. Oh, my God. Y'all know, know Dan Ward, right? Yeah. Dan Ward's got like 12 kids. He should just be <laughs> carried around on somebody's shoulder for eternity. He's got four daughters. I, I tell Dan, <laughs> Dan's a little tiny guy compared to me, right? I said, you're more man than I'll ever be. you got four friggin' kids. And you work with your balls off. Dan, you want someone to sell for your class? Call Dan at 3 o'clock in the morning. He'll, he'll be do there. It. <laughs> he will. Dan's got to support a, a tribe. So yeah, you got to be a, you get you get children as you mentioned in the subject. You got to man up, you know. Yeah. So as you know, so it's a it's a difficult task. I, yeah, it's, it's very funny. My friend who has uh, four kids. I remember this is a year before I even was going to have a child. I go, Barry. I said, you got four kids. I said, I don't have any. I said, would you recommend I have kids? He thought he was in mid sentence with someone. He stopped and looked at me. He goes, Fuck no. <laughs> He said, but don't get me wrong. It's the greatest thing I've ever done, but fuck no. You're 49 years old. You've made this far. Don't you dare. And sure enough, you know, I, um, you know I, it got me at 50. I put off, the, I put off biologically to, I think, the last second. And I'm, I'm happy I've done it now because it's really changed my life. And now it's gave me, gave me reason to do the things I do now. You know, I, only, I, did re, I did everything in my life till then for the selfish reasons of what does it do for me? In a way, right? Even though you're helping other people, maybe in, in uh, esoteric ways. But once you have her, man, or him in your case, it's like everything, not everything, you still, you're still a little bit selfish. Yeah. Like I'm going to look at Hart Davidson's in a few minutes because <laughs> I want a motorcycle again. Yeah. And that's about the dumbest thing I can do. I'm 57 years old with a six year old. I'm about to buy a Hart Davidson and ride like I did for the 20 years that I rode nothing but motorcycles in town. But you know what? I want it. So it's a little bit selfish, I understand that. Uh, but I'm going to do it. So when I say you do everything for your children, you do, but you still got to take care of you, yourself as first, you know what I mean? You still got to do whatever makes you feel. Because if you don't give to yoga is about that. People come to your class because they spend their time giving to everybody else. And they need to refill the well, so they need to come restock themselves. Because your friends hang on you like barnacles on a ship, you know what I mean? And it's good. You're, you're, you want to. I always tell people, strong shoulders. I want you to be stronger. I said, you know, reason I want you to be stronger, not so you look good in your bathing suit. I want you to be stronger so you can carry your friends, and carry your family. Physically carry them if you have to, but mostly it's you know the analogy of carrying people. You know, be strong enough that when people latch onto you, your family latches on, or whoever latches on your family, your community, in your case, your studio, and all your teachers, and all your teachers' students. There's got to be someone that holds all that up. It's got to be you. You know, it's got to be someone in your family that holds everything up. It's got to be you. And that you, by the way, women at home, that can be you as well. It can be the woman, of course. It's not 
sex thing. This whoever has to be strong enough to stand up and carry everyone around them. I know a lot of strong women that carry their men and their families. Yeah. Matter of fact, when's the last time a woman took a day off when she got sick? You know, from the family. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> you know, I get a hang now. I got to lay down, take a nap. I can't do anything. <laughs> You know, and, and her, Scarlett's mom can be half dead with 110 degree flu and she'll still work and do everything she does, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, the women tend to always be the strong ones. So I'm not talking about that type of strength. I'm talking about just the the fortitude and the heart to carry people, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And your kids, they really make you, they, they teach you how to serve. Yeah. They do teach you how to serve. Yeah. And uh, they teach you a lot about relationships and they'll teach you a lot about yourself. Because they know how to push you like you've never been pushed ever before. I'm telling you, and they don't really, you know, they don't, they don't really feel the need to show you any gratitude. Yeah, <laughs> for what you've done. <laughs> when my I, son was little, he'd walk around the house. He goes, "I'm the king. I am the king." Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hold on, little man. Yeah. You too. Yeah. You're getting there. You're getting there. You're still pooping your pants. You're king that poops his pants. <laughs> no, my, my mom would just yell at me, bubbles, please. No, she wouldn't say please. She would go, daddy, bubbles. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the sparkling water. Yeah. Daddy, bubbles. I go, please, please. You know, she'll, she'll throw that please out like, you know, like I drug it out of her. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you teach so much and you're teaching all the time and you've got all these projects going what do you really seek to give your students and what do you what do you really want them to draw from their experiences on the map i tell you the only thing i want them to get from their experience is that the recognition that it is such a privilege to be able to practice and i ain't talking about practicing with me that's for damn sure or anyone else and i'm not even talking about practicing yoga I'm just talking about the the it, it is a celebration and a and a acknowledgement of the blessing of health mm. because you know, it's very funny uh, when I had nothing and quite often still have nothing but when I really was down in, in my dirt a friend of mine who's a multimillionaire goes to me I, I was so offended he goes at least you got your health I was like oh, you're an ass <laughs> right because I thought. Yeah, of course I got my health. I live in a one st- a studio apartment. And I don't have my car's crap, and I don't have any food in the fridge. You know, so I was offended that just because at least you have your health, you know, <laughs> you're not worth much more than that. Is what I thought that meant, you know. And then you know, you get sick or something, you go, "All I want is my health." Yeah. You know. So what what I want the kids the kids to get from this when they practice, and I tell them, you've seen it in class. There's like that sour look. I said, "What's wrong with you?" I said, "Pour." I said, "Light on. Turn your shoulder. Pull your shoulder back. Lift your chest up." I said, "I will." The one thing I'll call you out in this class is body language. I said, "Pull those shoulders back. Turn your light on." I said, "Do not droop your shoulders. Do not look slouchy." I said, "You better celebrate the fact you're healthy enough to do this." You know, we're in Santa Monica, and just a block, uh, twenty blocks up, is St. John's Hospital, and I'll say, "Right up the street." Anyone up there would trade places with you right now and be ecstatic to do it. So mm-hmm. there's one thing I can do that without beating them up and degrading them is be happy. Yeah. Not not happy like, or be grateful. Grateful is a better word than happy. Yeah. Happy comes and goes. Gratitude is a muscle you can train, you know. So be, be grateful. If anything, be celebratory. You know, celebratory into the magnificent miracle of your own body, you know. And whatever, whatever issues you're going with, just... I can breathe another day. I can move another day. I feel good. That's yeah. that's it, man. If you feel good, and like my friend said, as long as you got your health, you know, you're on top of the world. Couldn't be more true. No. 
you know, I was reading, it, there's so many facets to gratitude. I was reading this article about water, how most wars will start about water in the coming years. And there's a story about this woman in Africa, and she wakes up before the sun gets up, and she gets up in the dark, and she packs these two three-gallon jugs, and she puts them on a stick and over her shoulder, and she walks 20 miles to a well, fills up the six gallons, and then walks 20 miles back. By the time she's walked the 40 miles, it's, the sun's going down. Wow. And she washes her her kids clothes, lets them drink the water, her husband drink the water, she cooks with the water, and then the next day she does the exact same thing, and that's her life forever. So it's like, man, we have nothing to complain about. There's, We should wake up like with as much gratitude as a three-year-old. You know when kids wake up, they're like, yeah. woo, yeah, the yeah. world, the life, instead of waking up these, these jaded, depressed adults where we're like, I know. shit, where's my coffee? God damn it, I'll yeah. kill somebody right now. I know. <laughs> It really is, you know, and I say it all the time, and I'll, I'll, I feel a little corny when I tell my friend. I said, I said, listen, here's what you need to do. Just shift that shit. Yeah. I said, it's, it's simply a choice, and there's science behind it. You know, I read a study from Harvard, and they were talking about uh, if you have a positive, if you can sit down and come up with something very positive, it can be something like the love of your kid or whatever the case may be. If you can hold that for 15 seconds, you'll get a biochemistry reaction in your brain that will actually make you feel good. Mm -hmm. And you know this to be true. You can think of something, your boss comes up and goes, I want to talk to you in my office. Immediately you feel nauseous. Mm -hmm. That's a brain chemical thing. That's a reaction to your thought. Oh, Christ, I'm going to get fired. I can't pay the tuition. Stomach reacts immediately. And that's it. And that's it. So it, I tell my friend, I said, it's a choice. I said, you just shift that shit around. I don't care what you got to do. It can be corny as you want to be. Just envision the most beautiful thing that you love. Just hold on to that for 15 seconds. And it will almost change you almost completely. And then, like I told him, it's a choice. And again, it sounds corny. And for most people who are so in their rut, you go, that's some, you know, that's some bullshit. And okay, it is. Unless you practice it. And then the more you practice it, you can almost switch it on the dime. You know, you can catch yeah. yourself. I'm spiraling. Let me pull that. Let me pull myself out of that death spiral and just shift my biochemistry to respond to it. So there's there's science behind it, which I think is magnificent. You know, if you just read about it in the 5,000-year-old sutra or something, you go, yeah, okay, whatever. But when all of a sudden science proves it through biochemistry and brain waves and all this stuff, you know, the meditation, they're now buying in completely to the meditation. Yeah. And now you're going, now we got some technology for you 21st century people to put behind it. So it's not just us talking because that's the lineage of the practice. It's the reality now or the the possible reality if you do the work yeah. know, towards it. And it's it's one of those things where, like you said, it's trainable. It's something that you can achieve. You know, people look at other happy people and they're like, how come they're so fucking happy? I want to be happy. I can't be happy like that. And there's this story I tell in teacher training. There was this grandmaster archer in ancient China. He yeah. was this military colonel. And he was so good from 100 yards away he could shoot a bullseye without even a look. Yeah. And he was really cocky about it. He'd go into like big marketplaces, set up a target, and start shooting. So everyone would be like, oh, well, and start applauding him. And one day he set up in this market and he starts shooting away, hitting bullseye after bullseye. Everyone's cheering. And he sees this old dude who's selling little oil lamps, who just gives him kind of like a smug look, like, yeah, whatever. Uh-huh. So he walks over to the old guy, and he goes, you must be a really great archer. Right. Not to be impressed. Because you're not impressed by my amazing ability. <laughs> and he goes, no, I don't know anything about archery. I just only know about oil. And the 
Archer goes, then why aren't you applauding me? He goes, because of this. So he puts down an oil lamp. And this oil lamp is like a bottle. And he pulls out one of those Chinese coins as a hole. Mm -hmm. And he sets it on top of the bottle. Mm -hmm. Takes another oil lamp. And from high above it, he starts pouring this perfect stream of oil down straight through the hole of the coin without spilling a drop. And everyone around is like, oh, my God. And they're all applauding him. And he goes, no need to applaud because just like this archer and just like what I'm doing, any of you guys can do this. Any of you guys can achieve it. It just takes practice. We only look at where somebody is today, not the struggle and the ways they got there. Yeah. So anybody can achieve happiness if they want to achieve happiness. You just got to train it just like you would train any other skill. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's repetition. Of, yoga is all about repetition, is it not? I mean, look at the shtang and all the yoga we do. It's all about repetition. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when people have like huge struggles in their life and they meet with, you know, walls and barriers and blockages and strife, what kind of words of wisdom do you have to help navigate through those struggles? The pendulum, I call it. The pendulum. You know, life, it's. I went through a hard time uh, financially just about a year ago, and it's the first time business got slow for a little bit. I, I didn't do teacher trainings. I wasn't traveling and teaching by choice. Some bills came up and, and some expenses, some tuition for the kids, some other things for the kids, blah, blah, blah. And for the last probably 15 or 17 years, I never even looked at the budget. It was, I wasn't rich, but I just never worried. If I had to write a check for something, I could write a check for it, blah, blah, blah. And the reason I say this is because there's a pendulum that's, and, and, and I was riding and I was warning uh, my child's mother. I go, you know, it's not always gonna be so easy. Mm. She's don't talk like that. She's very fearful. Don't, don't talk like about money sometimes. Don't talk like that. That's just, just the fact. I said shit swings this way and it swings that way. So f whatever it is, finances, health, relationships, profession, whatever it is, if you are swinging high, that pendulum swinging towards prosperity and everything is good, it reaches an apex over there somewhere. And that shit's coming back the other way, <laughs> right? It's coming back. And then if, when it swings back this way, oh my God, my wife left, I'm penniless, the car got repoed, my health sucks, everything's terrible. Hang on, hang on. It could be a 10 year swing but it's going to swing back. It's physics. What oscillates one way must oscillate back the other way. So it's always going to swing back and forth. Yoga teaches us the middle ground, right? We're not going to get way up here. I remember uh, when I bought my I bought this car one time eight years ago, eighty thousand dollars, five hundred horsepower, two hundred mile per hour car. Like an idiot, I bought that car. It's funny too because I was I bought that car and I was five miles down the freeway and I go the fuck did I do this I just bought a stupid car but I wanted that car forever I wanted that car that was the holy grail to me that car uh, I craved you know the Bible says they don't covet your neighbor's stuff or whatever <laughs> shit was but I was coveting that car man I bought that car and I, was, I swear to God I was 10 miles down the freeway and I was like whatever and now I'm committed to it for 4 or 5 years to pay for the damn thing uh What's my train of thought on that, Tomo? Help me. There's a pendulum. Yeah, no, there's a... Uh... <laughs> God, I can't remember the story. You guys at home, I'm sorry. I can't remember. My train of thought stopped on me. Uh... 
Anyway, so the yearning for something, yeah, the yearning for whatever it is. The fact of the matter is, it's gonna swing back your way. So I just tell them, I say, just wait for it, be patient, because when it swings back by, you gotta be ready to jump on it. You know, so everything fell apart. Oh, I don't know what it was. So, so then I lost the car. I didn't have anything, but. If you just wait, the pendulum is going to come back your way and you'll jump back on it and you go back to prosperity, back to good health. And just remember, that's why your mother told you, save for a rainy day. Whatever that saving means to you, you know what I mean? Just be prepared for the rainy day because it's coming back your way. So if you're struggling, if you're thinking this is it for me, I'm just going to jump off the freaking roof. You know, I'm just telling you, just, we, people don't, you know, they say runners have a, 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 a second wind, yeah. but a lot of runners never find their second wind because they don't run long enough. You got to run long enough to get into your second wind. So you got to be steady enough. You got to be patient enough to wait for it to swing back your way. Yeah. So if it's good, get ready. If it's terrible, get ready, you know, because it's coming back the other way. We're always going to be in some tall cotton. Tall cotton. <laughs> Yeah, man, we're always knee deep in a flow of life, and I'm, I'm chest deep now. So, you're going to be knee deep, waist deep, chest deep, or neck deep in a flow of life. It's 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 flowing. It ain't it ain't stopping for you. Yeah. So then the other thing is is you know so many of us have dreams and things that we want to get done, and we just never can quite get it done. It's like it's like a valiety. It's like a couch potato dreamer. I mean, you don't have the inspiration to get off the couch and actually execute something which always causes trouble in our own life. What things do you use or words that you help uh, your students and people around you harness and turn those dreams and things into actual actions? I know, that's a tough one, you know, because uh, I mentioned to you before we started the podcast that I was even thinking about going in a whole different direction from yoga, you know? Yeah. And I had this business idea I want to do, and I was just sitting with it, scared as shit to do it, you know? Yeah. So like when you start your studio, you yeah. know? You got to be all in. I think... I just read a story somewhere that says motivation is bullshit. And that was the headline. I went, oh, let me read about this. And motivation was the thing, but action was the other thing. Uh, action, if I can, I'm bastardizing what it said, but action created motivation. The more things you did towards that goal, the more motivated you did. So if, if you're going to start a business and just talking to my friend today about business plan, I go, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> And she said, let's just do the business plan. And that way, I said, what's the name of the business? He was like, shit, let's do the business plan first. And then we'll be in, because I was like, I can't think of a name for the business. We call it this, call it that. She said, we'll do the business plan. And I said, okay. And then I started getting excited about the next step after the business plan. So then I got started getting, I started getting in touch with that creative side. Mm -hmm. And then I got motivated. So the action will create the motivation. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, the main thing is, is just to go do it. There's so many ways to do it now. I mean, through YouTube, I don't know what their business is, through crowdsourcing, through fundraising. Yeah. You know, I was embarrassed. I, I, did, I wrote my book and, the, and my publisher said, we should raise some money for the co-writer and all this stuff to write the book. I go, oh, God, I just, I don't know. that's not me. He said, let me handle it, I'll do it. And he put a uh, Kickstarter thing up and we funded the book in uh, like a week. Yeah. And I was fascinated by that. And if, if, if it left of my motivation, I would have convinced myself not to do it. Yeah. But just that action, then once we got the f fundraiser, we got a co-writer, a ghostwriter, help me write it. And then we got a publisher to help me publish it. And all that came from taking that first step. Yeah. So whatever, you need, whatever you're trying to do, just figure out the first tangible, accessible step at it. And just chip, you're doing a Chinese proverb, I'll give you one. 
So the, the king is going to give away a great portion of his kingdom to somebody. So he brings in the biggest, stoutest horse. He said, whoever can pull the tail off this horse will own this half of the kingdom. And this gigantic man, like six foot eight, 300 pounds, goes up, grabs that horse's tail, and starts pulling and pulling. And he's ex- sweating. He exhausts himself. He passes out. Little frail little guy comes up, walks up to that horse, grabs one, one hair, dink, 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 <laughs> pulled every, pulled all the hair of the horse's tail out and won half the kingdom because he didn't grab a handful and pull on it. One little task at hand, the task at hand, one at a time, one at a time. So whatever the motivation is, just go, just be, have, have a goal, you know, and just to short, shorten the story, just one task at a time, one action at a time, which will feed your motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like, there's, you probably have seen it, most people probably have this, there's this Tony Robbins video that goes around and he starts talking about, if you're on a ship and you see an island and you want to take the island, burn your fucking boat and take the island. Because when most people are met with either death or life, they're going to choose life and they're going to swim to shore. They're going to take the shore. They're (laughs) going to take the island. (laughs) It's just like, you got to go all in, like you were saying, and just start chipping away at it just start going and yeah. digging at it yeah i think i think that's again where patience come in and the practice of yoga teaches you patience you know it's yeah. not the it's not the cure-all but it just starts to teach you those skills i always think yoga is just a it's a it's a tool in your toolbox you know yeah the, the asana stuff the asana stuff and, and and what we talk about in yoga mostly yeah uh so what are your final thoughts anything you want to share no it's fun man uh I'm still around. I'm uh, in Santa Monica. You know, I'm the founder of Udaya.com. Yeah. I have a book called The Yoga Warrior, which is kind of fun. But that's really about it. You know, I'm into my strength and conditioning training these days and uh, yoga and raising the kid and, you know, and helping people however I can and also being, you know, part of the overall tribe that we all got going on here in Santa Monica and Los Angeles. Yeah. So what could be better than taking one breath at a time, right? One breath at a time, dude. One, one, one day at a time, as, they, as the old bumper sticker says. Yeah. And I didn't know what that meant on that bumper sticker until <laughs> someone told me. Uh, where can people find you and uh, well, I'm on follow face- you? Yeah, I'm on Facebook and Instagram. I do all that stuff. I don't do as much as I should, but I guess I should. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, you got to be... And hopefully, you know, on this podcast with Tamal <laughs> and on Facebook and Instagram and uh, Udaya.com, I'm always on there. I'm, if you'd listen to this, you'd probably know who Udaya.com is. But, yeah, I'm around. Yeah, and uh, if you're ever in Los Angeles, go take, yeah, check out Rudy's classes. They are awesome. Oh, yeah, Brian, Brian Kess's joint. Uh, come see the king, Brian Kess, and, and his, uh, his minions, me, in this case. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I've known Rudy for a long time. If you haven't ever taken his class, it's... It's really great. It's a very real, no BS kind of experience, and he's also a very knowledgeable teacher. I've uh, taken his classes many a time, and I've always drawn a lot of great stuff from it, not just alignment, but just cool outlooks on life, yeah. and I appreciate you being here. Rudy. Appreciate it, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, everybody at home, for listening. Appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Until next time, namaste. Namaste.